You are listening to the IoT for All Media Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the IoT for All podcast, the number one publication and resource for the Internet of Things. I'm your host, Ryan Chacon. If you are watching this on YouTube, we would truly appreciate if you give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. If you're listening to this on a podcast directory somewhere else, please feel free to subscribe so you get the latest episodes as soon as they are out. All right. On today's episode, we have Dan Cunliffe, the managing director and co-founder of Pangea Connected. Um, They are a very interesting company that plays in a lot of different spaces, retail, agriculture, education, transportation, healthcare, you name it. Um, And they've really focused on building an IoT ecosystem based on intelligent global IoT connectivity, best-in-class devices, actual analytics, um, and IoT solutions to help companies make better data-driven decisions, better automations, um, develop new revenue streams, you name it, for these companies around the world. Uh, On today's episode, we talk a lot about uh, IoT migration, kind of why it's important, how to do it right, um, the challenges companies are facing in the space, how they help educate potential partners on why mobile connectivity is the way to go. Um, They talk about some of the myths around mobile data and IoT, like it being slow, unreliable, insecure, and they kind of debunk a lot of that and tell you how to really be thinking about those items um, and, and a number of different item, uh, uh, topics as well. Talk about the PSTN switch off. What does it mean? How to prepare for it for those of you who may be affected. Uh, but all in all, fantastic conversation. Dan is an excellent guest. So I think we'll get a lot of value out of this episode. But before we get into it, any of you out there are looking to enter the fast growing and profitable IoT market, but don't know where to start? Check out our sponsor, Leverage. Leverage's IoT solutions development platform provides everything you need to create turnkey IoT products that you can white label and resell under your own brand. To learn more, go to iotchangeseverything.com. That's iotchangeseverything.com. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the IoT for All podcast. Welcome, Dan, to the IoT for All podcast. Thanks for being here this week. All oh, right. Thanks so much for having us. And um, yeah, really appreciate the opportunity to speak to, to speak to your audience. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Um, let's kick this off by having you give a quick introduction about yourself and kind of just background information that would be relevant for our audience to get a better sense of who to listening to. Yeah, no problem. Um, for those of you who um, have not heard of Pangea, we are a global IoT uh, connectivity and solution provider. Um, we currently have services in about 54 different countries, but we can access uh, global connectivity all the way from, um, I suppose, you know, connecting little sensors with small amounts of data that tell you, you know, very, very kind of interesting things around telematics, right through to people who are fortunate to live on luxury yachts and need, and need those connected as well. So um, sure. we, we work into um, a market which we call here in the UK a channel. So we are specifically focused on channel. We don't sell to end users. We don't sell directly. Um, and we focus very, very hard on just delivering IoT products. Um, we don't exactly. sell things like broadband or stuff, I guess. So we're quite unique in that sense, I think. Um, very, very focused on IoT only and being channel only. Love that. That's fantastic. Um, so tell me a little bit about kind of the overall founding story of the company. Anytime I can have a co-founder on, on, I'd love to hear just kind of about what the opportunity you saw before the company was started. Um, you know, what you're seeing happen in the market, what, you know, you kind of felt was needed in the space and then kind of how everything kind of came about. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, <clears throat> so those of you who picked up the accent, I'm originally from Cape Town, South Africa. Uh, but I've been now in the UK almost 15 years. And my journey sort of into uh, technology was through um, a Wi-Fi company and then a, a sort of into um, the big global operator called Telefonica. Um, some some sort of uh, listeners might know that. 
Um, and I started the wholesale channel for Telefonica for their broadband business. And what sort of sparked me on through that was I really enjoyed the relationship building of um, a channel business and working through partners. We eventually sold that business that I was running um, to Sky, which is one of the one of the kind of terrestrial mm-hmm. riders here. And um, I was I was left with the choice of um, taking another job in O2 or do you know what? Like backing myself to start a business. Uh, right. I'd always been keen. I'd always been keen to start a business and think about other things. And um, it was a it was a weird time because this is 2014, and there'd been a lot of talk about M2M and, and IoT, but very sort of 3G, almost 4G style uh, right. back then. And um, so my co-founder is uh, Chris Ramika, and he, uh, he he and I both sort of engineers, but he continued more down the technical path. And you know what? I just, we we kind of looked at it and thought, you know, how cool would it be if we could plug um, broadband or fiber connections into the back of a van and drive it around, which is not possible, of course. I can think <laughs> not possible. But if we could plug multiple um networks into something that could move uh it would be awesome for the um uh, for many many markets you know and so right. we we started thinking about that and the natural inclination was you know what like we know channel we know how to work with these guys let's um call a couple of them up and th- let them know what they think about our idea um fortunately a lot of the guys were quite positive about it a lot of our now our customers are quite positive and um the other reason why I think we started to do this was, um, and go with me on a journey just for one second here. Chris sure, and I, yeah. about two weeks before deciding, yep, we're going to start Pangea, we almost started a tequila distribution business. Um, we sat down, we sat down with a guy who met us in London Bridge here in London, and, and he showed us this incredible tequila called Padre Azul, uh, which we tried, and it was fantastic. But then I thought to myself, there's no recurring revenue in tequila sales. It's going to take a while to get like a recurring revenue sale on the back of, on the back of that one. So we thought, now nah, we're going to go down the, um, the IoT route and uh, start helping a channel create uh, connect- connectivity options. So yeah, that's how we got going. Um, and I remember it took a couple of months to get obviously the first things in place. And I remember our, sure. our first invoice was like 300 pounds. Okay. It was um, super, super nothing. Uh, and it was, um, but I remember that to this day because I think it sort of inspired me that someone was willing to pay something for the services that we've created. Yeah, so it's a huge cool. kind of, yeah, it, it definitely proves out kind of what you're doing in some capacity. And I think a lot of times that first customer, regardless of how big or small, is a huge first step, not just in the growth of the business, but just in like, the overall morale of realizing, okay, yeah. I'm on the right path. I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. I, we, now we just got to grow it, you know, and find the next one and the next one. And um, so that's fantastic. Just a proof point, you know, you just need that little bit of, like, okay, someone, someone's willing to do that. Uh, but equally, it helps you test out your systems very quickly if they work on yeah. that as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's way better when you have uh, somebody else being able to kind of pay for your services that allows you not only to provide them with something of value, but at the same time, test and build out your mm-hmm. offering. Um, so that's fantastic. It's super interesting, especially going from the potential tequila route into IOT. Very, <laughs> very different. Um, yeah. But that's, I still that's have awesome. the original. I still have the original bottles in my in, in my cupboard from that day. Yeah. Um, 
they that's are like down down to the last two or three milliliters but that's about it <laughs> you never do you, do you ever find out what happened to the company like did somebody else invest they've done really involved? well yeah okay. they've done really well um they've done really well they are more on the sort of very high-end premium tequila side um, okay gotcha. you know, and i kind of i kind of think back to like um, entourage or or that yeah yeah. That, that with, could, with, yeah with avion yeah mm. <laughs> yeah that's funny that's um I've, I've seen a lot of this is totally a different tangent obviously than we usually talk about on here but yeah, there, it's been interesting to kind of just see lots of different brands on, on kind of the alcohol front just pop up and, and come out. And you ever, always wonder, like, where did they come from and how did they get started? And yeah. it's kind of tying into um, what you, you know, the path you almost went down, which is that's kind of how they usually start is somebody builds a great product and then finds people to invest and get involved to then grow and build the business side of it. So yeah. um, that's awesome. So one of the topics I did want to ask you about today um, is around migration in, in IoT. And if you could start off by just talking a little bit about just generally, what does it mean when we're talking about IoT migration and somebody mentions that and brings that up into discussion? What does that mean? And then dive into a little bit further why it's important and, and the overall approach or advice you have for people who are focused on or having to go through migration when in the IoT side of things. Yeah. Um, so, IoT migration can probably mean a few things to certain people. Um, if I try and cover them off a little bit, for me, there's probably um, three kind of key areas. Um, it would be the connectivity side, so the internet in the IoT, the internet in the, in the Internet of Things, um, mm -hmm. the hardware, which is the thing, and then I guess the application, which is like the end result. So there's these three kind of clear components to it. Um, the application, if I kind of work from the top down now, the application migrations are really um, something that because the application is the one that's driving a lot of the information around what's actually happening and the, and the, and the outputs, I would say that migration along there has to be understood like what is that application working on? Like what is the code base? What, is the, um, what are the cloud-based products it's using? Is it, is it connected with Amazon or Azure or something like that? And those these days you can you know, migrate between different bases to get yourself uh, moved to a different structure. Um, but the bit that I think is probably a little bit more interesting and where we uh, you know, see a lot of it is down more by the connectivity source. So you've been working in um, Europe. Uh, you've been providing uh, a great IoT solution for uh, a vehicle telematics company. And what's been happening is that actually they've started to grow and they're traveling into more countries. So you actually can't be supporting them as much as you were before because now you need to connect them in more and more and more countries. Right. That migration story is really understood by looking at their connectivity source. It may be network A or network B. And you now want to offer them options of increasing coverage. And to migrate that to, say, a Pangea or another, we look at it from a bit technical, but we look at it at, like, what is the actual um, network identifier, it's called an ICC ID. What is that mm -hmm. network identifier that we can understand and then look within um, platforms to seamlessly migrate you over? And the okay. point that you need to know there is once you understand that it is vital to not just look at, oh, am I on the same network when I look at a migration, but I also have to be on the same platform. Because if you're not on the same platform, the customers end up losing service and actually the experience is not great at all. In fact, the experience will, will be quite poor. So for me, uh, the way I've been 
doing with my team and, and the way we've helped our customers is really to offer them not only an ability to migrate network, but to migrate platform like ubiquitous. So yeah, quite a lot of um, thought process, I'd say, going into it. But I suppose for us, it's a bit second nature now, the way we deal with it. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting conversation because it comes up more and more, I feel like, in discussions with customers. And um, I think it's important for, for those organizations to understand that there are companies and experts who really understand this side and have dealt with it in probably a lot of different capacities over time to not have to feel like they have to have all the answers when they're thinking about the migration component um, and trusting the company that they choose to work with to help understand and, and kind of get them through that because it is something that I think is quite important um, to do well. Um, so let me um, off, the, no, go ahead. You know, uh, I was just gonna say when we, uh, some, some, some of the early stuff when we started the business, there was a lot of talk about um, creating ghost IoT platforms. So what you would do is you okay. create a sort of pseudo, almost like a pseudo platform uh, hmm. before migrating services onto alternative platform. And so you'd put everything into a place where it was, I suppose, um, safe and sound and kind of kept nice and understood. And then you'd migrate it to, right. the, to the end output. Um, and um, okay. companies like, Cap, like Capgemini, Fujitsu, a lot of them were developing these sort of um, pseudo platforms so that they could be the step between migrations. Those are those are a lot better now than what they were back then. And those are other really cool ways in which you can approach it. Yeah, fantastic. Um, from your perspective and kind of the work you all do across different regions of the world, different um, different organizations, different verticals, what are some of the biggest challenges that you all have kind of come across um, in your kind of day to day uh, existence since you all started the business? Um, to be honest, like, I think because it's weird, you, you, if you had asked me this even a year ago, I probably would have had a different answer. Um, sure. I think it's sort of, as you're moving through, um, if I, if I think back, I think some of the big challenges was around the education of what the customer actually needs compared to what they think they want. Um, yeah. and, and, and that, and I say that with a positive statement, right? Like I say that as, as a positive thing, because I think we're expected to help that customer and just challenge them a little bit around like, is your thinking correct? Are you sure that this is the right thing? Because I think right. this is a slightly better alternative for you long-term. Um, today, what we've tried to mitigate a lot of those challenges is to just offer quite a wide variety of um, connectivity sources. So everything from like your low power services, narrowband, LTEM, Cat1M services, right. right through to like, you know, 5G and super, super fast um, capability over there. But to layer on top of that is also like how you can control the service, how you can control connectivity so that it suits your IoT deployment. So today we speak quite granularly with partners around like, look, where is it going to deploy? Uh, how often do you need to um, measure or monitor that specific outcome you're trying to achieve? Um, and the challenges have always been that a lot of the people don't know. So we, so we, so we guide them quite a lot into, into understanding it. I had a great example of that. Actually, I had a customer, um, who was, um, trying to, yeah, it, it was UK based and was trying to use narrow band for replacement again, a migration, right. For trying to get right. through right. smart meters. So changing out smart meters from 
2G, which is being turned off, 2G, 3G that's being turned off to narrow band, which is a new technology and will replace that. Um, and one of the things that probably didn't come up in the conversation with him was, well, what happens when the narrow band uh, provider doesn't have coverage for you in this huge deployment you want to do? I mean, he was talking about 100,000 right. devices. And um, they had not considered that there are actually devices out there that, that can have both narrowband and the other one, which is LTEM. They could have them both. Mm. Now you could offer a service that's able to actually cover you for both technologies. Um, hopefully that goes to plan. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just, it's just interesting ways in which we need to keep educating customers as the technologies keep changing because they sure. are. Yeah, I think the educational component is is hypercritical to the industry's success. I think it's been that way for a long time. It's one of the reasons why we started IoT for All was we saw a lot of people very hesitant to get into the IoT space because they didn't understand enough of all the different capabilities, different technologies, you name it. And it's changing so quickly that the content out there at the time was very technical or very dense. And so we wanted to kind of speak to a larger audience because we felt that was necessary for us or yeah. for the industry as a whole to reach its potential. Um, and I still feel like the educational component now is is even more important just to understand the different technologies, different capabilities, because there's not a lot of information out there that um, is hard to kind of read through for um, a potential adopter to understand, just like you said, is how does this technology potentially influence the success of my use case? Or maybe they think that it's not even possible based on what they're reading. So talking with the experts, I think is super important. Um, have you had conversations around with companies around um, uh, kind of the, the business side of it, the more of the revenue stream creation that IoT kind of enables? Because that's something that's really interesting to me to kind of understand how companies perceive that when they're thinking of iot or are they just kind of thinking about it as a solution to an existing problem but then once they learn about that revenue stream potential they start to get a lot more excited about bringing this to the top of the priority list yeah i mean i could i could speak for hours on it but i'll give you like sort of some of the rundown on, on what i do so so you know every day my my incredible team is out there trying to help um telecom resellers or isps or other solution providers get into the IoT space or to get them into using us to support their deployment. And one of the big factors is that, let's say you are a, a, an ISP or a, or a telecom reseller, you, you're kind of, your business value on the profit you make is anything between six to 10 times that. So if you were to sell your business in the future or put a valuation to your business, so you can get more finance, you're gonna get about six to eight times the profit of that type of business, right? This is the business that would sell broadband, ethernet, cloud products, that kind of thing. Sure. When you start to overlay IoT products into it and you bring it into your, um, into your portfolio and you have some success on it, that multiple increases to 18 to 22 times. Hmm. So you're almost three times more valuable by introducing IoT. And the reason for that, like that's the most important thing, like the why, the why is because um, we just said it now earlier, right? But the technologies are expanding all the time. So there's 2G, 3G turn off, there's 5G um, coming in. There are so many different options in which you can uh, deploy the service that you have an endless amount of opportunity. But probably the most important thing for valuations is the stickiness of these solutions. Right. Once they're in, they are yeah. in for a very long time. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's And it's a recurring that... revenue structure off the back yep. of that. And people yep. will invest good money 
in that type of, I guess, business. I totally agree. I think even just at a high level, it makes complete sense for a company to consider adopting. But if if but as where we are as an industry, I think we're in a much easier spot to make um, adoption more quickly, adoption uh, kind of wider spread because the capabilities that exist for a lot of these use cases that people may not have been able to successfully execute on over the past number of years. So um, I, I totally agree with with kind of everything you're saying there. Um, let, let me ask, I guess, one other thing before we start to wrap up here is, are there any kind of points of contention or things that come up in conversations with customers, potential customers, partners of yours around IoT, um, the connectivity side, you name it, that they still are just kind of assuming the wrong things around kind of like a myth that they're not really sure about. Um, uh, cause I know some people think about the security side, they think about the speed side, they think about a lot of different pieces of it. Are there, is there any kind of like main things that just keep coming up that people just really are completely missing the mark on when they're kind of for what their assumptions are? Yeah, I would, I'd probably think about it in, um, so we think a lot about our connectivity market in data amounts. Yeah. It's so a sort of low, medium, medium, high type stuff. And I think some of the misconceptions is that you need to, uh, in, in order to make money in this market, you need to sell like super high volume and you need to be able to win these sort of um, bluebird deals all the time to go ahead. Right. However, just a bit to your point earlier, Ryan, about like, you know, uh, you know, understand where your place or where what you're selling today or what you're kind of needing today helps you to um, sell an, an adjacent IoT product. One, one kind of simple example is that, you know, um, a lot of companies uh, still sell broadband, still sell Ethernet, and a very simple IoT solution on the back of that is a backup service using cellular, because mm. it's a completely separate network. It is um, a device connected through cellular, and it can also be delivered on their network. What that does, though, is that it gives you um, a product that you know everybody kind of needs, which is a backup on a different network, a completely different right. technology. But it is a, the, one of the most ubiquitous things that people provide. It is so commoditized. Everyone buys broadband, or everyone has broadband, switches it or does something with it. But to be able to offer an adjacent product to that means you definitely have um, a market that you can sell into. Weirdly, the challenges that come on the back of that is there is still a level of, um, which is waning, which is getting smaller, is the level of... Um, I suppose, trust in the speeds of cellular networks when compared to a fixed network. And I've got some incredible like case studies on our website where people have actually gone with a 5G only solution for very high network right. brands as a way to be more um, quick out the blocks to load up pop-up stores, uh, to be able to be in the middle of a retail environment to, um, to make sales. So I think that's one of the misconceptions at the moment for sure. Fantastic. Um, so as we're wrapping up here, I wanted to ask you, um, this is something that I'm not very familiar with at all, but it kind of came up in, in pre-interview discussions was about the PSTN switch off. Um, yeah. For our audience who may not really know what that means or is, can you just kind of high level it for, for our audience and then kind of how companies can maybe think about preparing if this is going to influence them? Yeah. So um for the audience, um, just high level, a PSTN line is generally the analog line in your home that either runs your broadband or you make calls over. Um, 
I would be surprised, Ryan, if you still make calls from a home phone in your home, you probably use your mobile. <laughs> yep. 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 Shaking head. It's a very small percentage you still do. Um, but what I think is happening, particularly in the UK and um, other countries along the world are starting to adopt it. It's the move away from an analog service being PSTN to a digital service being fiber. And the point is okay. that in, in the UK, we're turning off the copper lines and replacing them with glass lines for, for fiber connectivity. Gotcha. What is super interesting, what is super interesting and is um, a little bit kind of forgotten is that there are hundreds of applications that use a PSTN line from maybe 30 years ago, like a cash machine, like an ATM, a lift, um, a door entry system. Um, you may even have an EPOS machine still using this older way of connecting. And mm. in the UK particularly, we have until... 2025 to replace everything gotcha so we have millions and millions of things that were traditionally connected we're using a psdn line to do iot things to do like iot telemetry and monitoring etc but they have to change mm. and why we're so passionate about it is because we believe that in that space you should be replacing it with a cellular solution going forward similarly to your home has been replaced with a cellular solution to make calls we think we can um, offer some really cool options around, you know, why would you connect a lift with a PSTN line when it has to change? You would, you would do it with a cellular right. solution. Right. Why would you do a door entry system? Why would you do um, an ATM? Yeah. Why would you connect it with um, a PSTN mm. line? So um, that's one of the big reasons there is this PSTN switch off. It's the movement from analog to a more digital okay. environment. But many, many services don't need to be uh, on a fiber service to just do monitoring. Fantastic. Yeah, we actually have, no, it does completely. It's, it's very um, similar to the kind of discussions I've had in the past around the sunsetting of like 2G and, and stuff like yeah, that yeah, networks. Yeah. And we've, we've had discussions around kind of how to approach that, why, what to understand, what to do to, to kind of prepare. So, um, so it's, yeah, it's not something you really think a lot about because no. <laughs> I don't know anybody who uses it, you know, but it, but it is something that if companies do rely on or um, uh, still use it, it's, it needs to be discussed and understood because it's going to affect businesses. It might not be a huge number of people in businesses, but it still is going to affect people. So um, super important to kind of so talk about it. Yeah. So, so countries like Germany have just finished their PSTN switch off. Um, Australia okay. finished it with their next generation network. Um, Denmark is getting going with it. Um, I'm not sure where the US is at the moment, but I'm pretty sure it will come as well. Um, because as the demand from consumer is so highly driven by more rich content, video, etc., right. Um, right. we have to go full fiber for everything at some point. However, right. there are tens of millions of devices that don't need a full fiber connection to deliver what they're doing, particularly in the IoT, yeah, and particularly in that in the work. So you're going to be overpaying for a product that you just don't need. And that's where actually delivering um, a cellular-based service, uh, particularly if you want backup, if you have a multi-network IoT connection in that, that's where I think there's going to be a huge amount of opportunity. Um, for anyone who's listening to your, to, your, to your show and has a business that is looking at what markets to attack, it's, it's a really interesting play coming up. Definitely. Awesome. Well, Dan, thanks so much for being on here. Um, for our audience out there who's listening to this and wants to follow up, ask questions, learn more about the company, uh, what's the best way that they can do that? Yeah, lo loads of ways. Um, please do go to the website, which is pangea 
pythongroup.net, so P-A-N-G-E-A, pythongroup.net. Um, we have LinkedIn as well, so you could search for Pangea Connecting Everything, um, which is a play on um, our name. Uh, and of course, um, you can also look through our, um, as I said, our LinkedIn, but also um, contact at pangea-group.net is the best way as well. Fantastic. Well, Dan, thanks again so much for taking the time. Um, I was thinking as we were talking, there's a lot of other ideas. We could probably build some content together around <laughs> um, talking about some solutions you're working on, things like that. So um, we'll have to find time to sync up again. But uh, for now, thanks so much for being here and really appreciate it. No, you're very welcome. And thanks for the opportunity. And I hope everyone enjoyed that. Nice Absolutely. All right, everyone. Thanks again for joining us this week on the IoT for All podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave a rating or review and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on. Also, if you have a guest you'd like to see on the show, please drop us a note at ryan at iotforall.com and we'll do everything we can to get them as a future guest. Other than that, thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.